Hello, my name is Precious Rose Dunlap, and this is my mother, Michelle Timlake Roll, founder of Marjorie Speed Jerky Incorporated. We would at this time like to thank our new customers as well as our repeating customers for your business. For every one million orders that we receive, our company is giving two million dollars away to the bottom amongst four hundred of our paid customers. You see, that's the way we roll. So come place an order at www.marjoriesbeefjerky.com. That's www.marjoriesbeefjerky.com. Marjorie's Beef Jerky is the best tasting beef jerky on this planet. Marjorie's Beef Jerky. Still to come, some NBA talk, but former Bethune-Cookman Athletics Director Lynn Thompson is up next. Missed any of our shows? How about our conversations with some of the biggest names in sports and entertainment? Check out Box to Row podcast at BoxToRow.com or on Apple Podcasts. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. From the Press Box to Press Row. Box to Row. Box to Row. Box to Row. Box to Row. Let's continue here on Box to Row. We are joined by a gentleman, as a matter of fact, 30 years, count them, 30 years as, in essence, the athletics director at Bethune-Cookman. He's a 1980 graduate of then Bethune-Cookman College. Thursday was his first day of retirement. Let's look at some of these accomplishments during his tenure. Bethune-Cookman teams, 71 championships, 54 of those MEAC titles. He was the 2020 NACTA AD of the year. Also the first black chair of the NCAA Baseball Rules Committee. We could go on and on. As a matter of fact, you know, the, the MEAC has been doing these 50 greatest of all time lists well. If they did a 50 greatest 80s of all time, this gentleman would be near the top of the list. He's Lynn Thompson. Joins us here on Box to Row. What's going on? It's an honor to have you back on the program, Lynn. Man, I'm so glad to be talking with you, Donald. Uh, glad to be. I always listen, and uh, now it's uh, an honor to me, uh, for me to be talking with you. Absolutely. So Thursday was your first day uh, in of retirement. What what did you do on your first day? I mean, 30 years. That's a long time to have been at Bethune-Cookman. You've accomplished, obviously, a lot. <laughs> Uh, actually, on my first day of retirement from Bethune-Cookman, I was at Bethune-Cookman, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, I, went, I went into the campus. I went on, uh, went on the campus, went to the office, and uh, actually uh, turned in some keys and uh, met with them And uh, after 40 years uh, of being affiliated with another league and, uh, and was there uh, to witness a couple of ceremonies as the uh, – as the you know, the, as the league um, logo changed from MEAC to SWAC, and so uh, I was there for a couple of those things, and and just shook a few hands, and then I uh, came back home to spend some time with my my oldest daughter, who is an award-winning uh, theatrical director, and he she's been in town with me for a couple of weeks, just chilling with dad. Man, that's awesome. But you know what's interesting? You you mentioned, of course, now the Bethune Cookman. Uh, going to the SWAC. I mean, that's going to be part, obviously, of your legacy as well as the AD. 
uh, that that was instrumental in that happening. Yet you never dipped your toe in the swag. Well, I mean, was that was you know July uh, June thirtieth your last day? Was that by design? Um, not not really. You know, it's just the way it worked out. Um, you know, Dennis Thomas and I were talking about that. I also talked about it with my good friend and fraternity brother. Both of them are fraternity brothers of mine, uh, Charles McClellan. Uh, it's just the way it happened. You know, uh, yes, I was uh, a part of the team that, that did the research and, and led Bethune-Cookman to make the decision uh, to leave the MEAC after 40 wonderful years. And, and instead of going east, we decided to go west. Uh, it was time, and it was an institutional decision that was made on a variety of levels, from the trustee down to the cabinet, down to the to the real organic levels of uh, coaching and student athletes and students. And uh, and and little did I know that uh, that the, the good Lord and my family would tell me uh, several months later that your season is over. And uh, I was smart enough to realize it that. Uh, you know, after listening to my family, which is, you know, I've had the, the pleasure, Donald, of working with some great teams. But the greatest team there is is a team of family. And I listen to my kids, you know, and, uh, and they said, Dad, what else can you do? We'd really like uh, to spend more time with you. I've got a granddaughter. Uh, my son is an athletics administrator. He's the director of athletic marketing at Tulane, and, you know, he just said, Dad, what else can you do? Uh, and I want you to be able to dream and, and, and do some things that you want to do. And if there are some challenges that you want to meet uh, outside of uh, the journey at Bethune Cookman, now is the time to do it. And then, you know, after prayer and consultation, uh, the good Lord said, your season is over. Yeah. And so I had to be wise enough and obedient enough to, to realize that and, and accept that and, and move on. And, and in doing so, um, right now, some some new opportunities are, are coming my way that I'm beginning to address, and I'm so happy uh, right now to rest because it gives you know after 30 years you got to exhale, and so that's where I am now. I'm exhaling right now, no, and, uh, and really picking some things in. Though. Absolutely, no question about it. Some of us, uh, you know, I want to I want to dig deeper into that. I mean, I, look, some of mm-hmm. us are going to say, well. You know, some of us have said, well, of course, you know, uh, Bethune-Cookman was going to make the move to the SWAC because, fam, you made the move. I mean, that's that's just talk, right? Why, but why? I mean, I got you on the line. Why was it advantageous for Bethune-Cookman, to your point, after 41 years to make this move from the MEAC to the SWAC? Well, uh, we looked at a variety of factors. Number one, <clears throat> we looked at the shift in intercollegiate athletics. Uh, across the national landscape. And as you know, you've seen for the last, what, five or six years, you've seen conferences changing. Uh, We did also an opportunity, we took an opportunity to look and see where did we want to recruit a lot more students from. And uh, while we've had some success uh, on the East Coast, uh, we also saw some real opportunities going west to uh, further the brand of Bethune-Cookman University uh, going west, and then we looked at uh, uh, the league, the the, the MEAC. We looked at uh, the growth of the SWAC, the footprint of the SWAC, uh, with the possibility of it coming into Florida. Uh, believe it or not, we had some discussions about four years ago, uh, and and did some preliminary looks into uh, and had some overtures about some other leagues several years ago, uh, and and at the behest of our board of trustees, they asked us to make some. 
strategic decisions in terms of taking hard look at where we want it to be in the, in the next five years. And so having to undergo that series of, a, of analysis, we really uh, dove into things. FAMU did the same thing. Uh, we did not follow FAMU. Right. Uh, we wanted to make sure we were the best Bethune Cookman that we could be. And in doing so, uh, you know, those discussions ensued. The, the SWAC said that we would love to have Bethune Cookman as a part of the SWAC. We'd love to have a, a big footprint not only in the state of Florida, uh, in the Panhandle, but in central Florida where we are residing. And so it worked out. We did the study. And uh, our fan base um, just fell in love with it. And uh, it was nothing against the MEAC. We love the MEAC. In fact, uh, I, I fired off on our last day an open letter to the MEAC family thanking them for 40 years of partnership, fellowship, and championship. And, uh, and that's the way we were raised to do that and to say thank you when we leave, you know. And so that's what happened. Um, and, and we are excited. Uh, and I, when I say we, even though, I've stepped aside. I'm still a wildcat at heart. Yep. We are excited about what the future holds for Bethune Cookman and its athletics program moving west into the Southwestern Athletic Conference. Len Thompson, now former athletics director uh, at Bethune Cookman, spent 30 years. First day of retirement was on Thursday as he joins us here on Box to Row. I, I mean, I look at the accomplishments and I look at, the, again, the 71 championships, 54. <laughs> MEAC titles. I mean, so you know we're you know we're here in Raleigh. I mean, you Bethune Cookman reminds me of, uh, is the Division One uh, akin to Shaw University in this respect, doing a lot with less. A historical background with mm-hmm. uh, Mary McLeod Bethune founding mm-hmm. uh, the university. You don't have an on-campus football uh, stadium. The, the, the gym's, you know, one of the smaller ones in Division One. very much t- akin to Shaw at Division Two. Speak, however, to the success that you've been able to have at Bethune-Cookman, maybe working with a little less than others have, and what do you feel like is your greatest accomplishment as the athletics or at, 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 well, when you were the athletics director? Well, let me, let me just say this first. Um, <clears throat> you called uh, Shaw University a great university, and you're absolutely right. A, a small university, a one that gets it done regardless of what the budget or enrollment may seem like. Uh, I don't care what school you call. It could be UCLA, Notre Dame, Penn State, Hampton, FAMU, Morehouse, Bethune-Cookman. When you cut it down to the core, Donald, schools are made out of two things, buildings and people. And we just could not afford to focus always on buildings. And so I had to turn my energy to the people. Because at the end of the day, the buildings are not going to graduate you. It's the people who are going to have the impact on the lives of our young people and our students. And so we endeavored to make sure that we had the right staff the right support personnel around our student-athletes. And that is what Dr. Bethune did, the values, the legacy. And uh, and when we recruited our student-athletes, I made sure I met with every student-athlete on their official visit because the buck stopped in my office. And I had to make sure that they knew it as well as their parents and that regardless of whether or not we had all the buildings, we had the right people. And that is what parents wanted to see. They wanted to see that the people were invested in the lives of their young kids. And that is what really was the secret sauce for us, is that we could 
surround their kids with the right types of people who were authentic, who were passionate, who were full of integrity and had the capacity to teach sports and life lessons and family values. And that is what worked for us. And that is how we were able to build a continuous um, string of championships and championship moments. And it continues to this day. But as it relates to my greatest accomplishment, it is simply that, uh, a tree of successful people who believed in our vision and who understood that uh, this was not a job, Donald, it was a ministry. And uh, we uh, were able to have staff continuity. Uh, if you look at our website and find our, stu- our, our, our staff, our coaches come, they stay. They come from all around the country, come from great places, but it's something about what we do and how we do it that makes sure that these people come and stay and they invest their whole families into this great um, tapestry we call Bethune-Cookman. And that is how we were able to win uh, track championships with no track, uh, how we were able to win the basketball championships and how our coaches are able to leave here and get major jobs. Vanessa Blair Lewis leaves Bethune-Cookman and goes to George Mason and quadruples her salary. Ryan Ritter goes goes to Tennessee Martin and Marvell Melendez leaves and jumps three levels, you know, and because we are able to get great people who just happen to be phenomenal coaches too. Talking, hold the line for me one second, Lynn. We got a legend mm-hmm. on the line, the former athletics director at Bethune-Cookman, Lynn Thompson, joining us here on Box to Row. We've got more with Lynn Thompson on the other side. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. I'm excited I get to play for him. They support us in everything we do. You know, it's a joy to, you know, go to work and, and know that you're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to cheer for you as loud as they can no matter who you're playing. Bubba Wallace. They feel like I am throwing a race into the context here. And it's not about race. He's a driver at the end of the day. Everybody's making it about race. It's all about the headlines these days. Not me saying like, yep, I'm the black guy here. You're going to stop hearing about me. It was more along the lines of the fans like, hey, it's cool. I've been dealing with that for, for a while. He's Spike Lee. Thank you. I haven't heard that. I mean, I've been on radios all over the nation. Thank you for that question. I'm a third generation Morehouse man. I was taught to speak your truth and that there's very special about being a Morehouse man, the same way you feel about your school, the same way we feel all about our respective historic black colleges. That would have been my first choice anyway, and I'm proud to be a Morehouse man. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, I was really focused, just really, you know, excited. That is the voice of Steph Curry. Your progress from Davidson to now with Golden State. Where I've come from in high school into a small D1 college at Davidson. And, uh, it's a great story, and uh, I'm just having fun, you know, living my dream and riding the ride. Ron Rivera, you know, a great player. Did you see yourself as a coach? I've been told a lot of times by a lot of people, boy, you know, you're kind of like a coach on the field. I always felt at some point, yeah, I'd probably get into coaching. It all started because of my son wanting to play football. The one and only Michael Strahan. Always good to talk to you. Hopefully next time it won't be, what, 14 years. You get to it. <laughs> Man, you know what is good and, and, and uh, you're
you're encouraging people to be better and do better. And, and that's what I love, man. So thank you. I appreciate you. I'm talking about none other than Common. Well, I ended up at Sam just because I wanted to major in business. And Sam, you had the illustrious school of business. Then I found out that business was the key. That's what I wanted to do. Dave Roberts, manager of the L.A. Dodgers, to be person of color and be the manager of the Dodgers. What does that mean to you? Well, I think the first thing that comes to me is responsibility. With recency and, and kind of the social, the racial issues that we're having that really come to light, which is, I believe, are good things. I think that it's a responsibility for me to be the first manager of color for the Dodgers. There's not many of us in baseball to do things the right way, to hopefully give others, other people of color, opportunities. Hopefully it just paves the way. So I think that for me, I, I definitely look at it as responsibility, but something I'm willing to undertake. Omari Hartwick. And that's crazy that you say that. I got one of your colleagues and one of your contemporaries and that being Stephen A. He hit me about three weeks ago and he texted me and he said, oh, how did I miss this one? But it's equally been a beautiful thing for me to see how much you guys who work in sport are fans of me. But for you to like it as much as Stephen A said he liked it and all within the last three weeks, you both are commenting on it. I'm in good company. We're, we're HBCU guys, you know. I know I'm in good oh, company. Of course, bro. <laughs> Shout out to Howard University. NBA All-Star Chris Paul. That was great to bring it back to one Salem State University, a uh, black college. Something that my city had never seen before, may never see again. And just having a up close and personal feeling with LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Melodes. It was exciting. I'm grateful for those guys coming out. She's Simone Biles. Ashley was really fun. Like, to be honest, me and Allie had a lot of fun. We were like, oh, of course, like, we're in the best shape of our lives. We're feeling confident about our body, and we hope that other young girls and women, like, feel that being strong is so beautiful. So that's what we kind of try to do. Greatest football player to ever play, Jim Brown. Muhammad Ali was a principal person in the country at the time and he stood up and said that he was not going to the service because he was against his religion. Mm -hmm. all, all the top black athletes together along with Carl Stoke, the first black mayor of a major city. So I'm glad you brought that particular incident up. Snoop Dogg is on the mic. Pay attention. Oh man, thank you for having me play in a real way. I mean, I'm so honored. Snoop, you football league has done so many wonders. We got over 200 kids that have graduated from high school. We have over 50 kids that have grown to Division One. Kyrie Irving Playing at Duke for Coach K, what was that like and how that prepared you for the league now? Playing 11 games, you know, a lot of people think that's not a you know, big package for you to become a better player, but for me it was. Playing for Coach K, he gave me the keys to, to the car and I was driving it in the first eight games. And you know, being a part of something special like that and having the brotherhood built at an institution such as that one is an experience that you never forget. Ice Cube has been our guest. Hey man, thanks for letting me talk a little music, movies, and sports. Hey, my favorite three topics. From the press box to press row is the sports talk show that is the voice and the talk of HBCU Sports with a flair for pro sports talk and entertainment. Check the show out online at www.boxtorow.com. That's from the press box to press row. Real. Relevant. Radio. Boxtorow.com is your source for conversations with and content on some of the biggest names in sports, HBCU sports, and entertainment. Boxtorow.com. We're back here on Boxtorow. We're talking with former Bethune Cookman Athletics Director Lynn Thompson. Like he's so, so big. You know, the, the correct title was Vice President for, what was it? Vice President for Intercollegiate Athletics at Bethune. I don't want to shortchange you now, you know. That's all right. Yeah, that's what it was, but I was simply the AD. You know? <laughs> we've, we've got him on the line. We're talking about 
a lot of what he was able to accomplish at the uh, as the athletics director at Bethune Cookman for 30 years. I, I want to switch gears a little bit, Lynn, and I want to talk about NIL or uh, you know the the name, image, mm-hmm. and likeness uh, situation. Which, by the way, the, the day it, that's another thing. Like the day you retire, right, or your first day of retirement, right. I should say, that comes into effect. I want to just get your overall thoughts on NIL. Okay. Well, uh, you know, NIL is has been a long time coming. Okay, and um, it was a a battle that the NCAA was never going to win. Um. I served on the I served on the NCAA committee on athletics, uh, the committee on academics for uh, the past four years, and we wrestled with that, and uh, we saw that, that it was coming, and there was nothing we could do about it, and uh, and so we we had to get ready for it. Uh, and two and a half years ago, uh, Bethune Cookman became the first HBCU to engage the services of probably the nation's top athletic branding company, Influencer. And, uh, and we, we signed with Influencer two and a half years ago. Our then director of athletic branding, uh, Jasmine Alton, was able to bring them to the table with us. And, uh, and we had those discussions about NIL with them then. Uh, and, um, and we knew that we had to prepare our student athletes and our institution for the day that uh, NIL would, would really come to fruition. And lo and behold, the state of Florida followed state of California and, and enacted legislation that July 1 of this year would come into effect, and it did. And uh, the rest of America followed suit. And so, you know, student-athletes more so than, uh, uh, I guess, most other, the, the closest young people that I can relate this to would be those students who are in the performing arts. And, and I really compare athletics to the performing arts. Uh, all the time, because let's think about it. Uh, you know, the, the 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 field is the stage, the playbook is the script, and the student athletes are the actors, and the coaches are the directors, and they've got to perform. And of course, the audience happens to be the fan base, and you've got to perform. And so, what you do uh, influences so many people. And if you are a young musician, then you can control uh, your, your branding. You can produce an album. And there's so many things you can do. And the day has come where student athletes now have that opportunity to, to determine their worth uh, in so many other venues other than athletics. And with that in mind comes an awesome responsibility, and that is uh, financial literacy, uh, and so many other educational responsibilities that the institutions have to uh, bear the responsibility of, of, of shouldering uh, for the student-athletes. That is really what most institutions are wrestling with now. If a student-athlete comes to a, uh, an institution and is a five-star student-athlete, he brings along with or she brings along with, with themselves probably already a fan base, probably some handlers, maybe a legal team, and some sponsors. And uh, up until recently, institutions did not know how to handle that. And it was a violation of NCAA rules. Now, uh, that was, you know, uh, now, according to federal law, you are, you are in violation of federal law because 
you are prohibiting this young person from engaging in free trade. Well, now we've got to allow them to take advantage of that because it feeds themselves and their families. And so I'm in support of that as long as we can also provide educational components because many of the student athletes who look like us uh, have the opportunity now to break generational curses, to, uh, to, to provide for not only themselves but other members of their families and to, uh, to really break themselves out of a, a continuous cycle of poverty uh, and economic conflict. And as long as we're able to provide for them and provide them the educational components, I think that we'll see a level of economic success that we've never seen before. Uh, but we're also going to open ourselves up to some possible uh, ex exploit uh, and some people who are not going to be honest in this process, and we've got to prepare ourselves for that as well. Yeah, I think that's inter I mean, no, I, I think that's interesting. Let, let me look at the other side of this thing because I think, mm -hmm. you know, to the point, I mean, I think athletes getting, student athletes getting paid is a whole separate deal that's still going to be mm -hmm. have to be dealt with. But, I mean, at least with the, in the old NCAA model, it, it was a situation where it was supposed to be sort of even across the board as far as it relates to student-athletes. Nobody gets paid. Now you have a situation where some student-athletes are going to be able to make money off their name, image, and likeness, and probably yep. most are not. So, I mean, how, 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 what, do you, what do you say to that? Uh, well, let me, you know, I, I guess it's a I guess it's a vestige of capitalism, where you either got it or you don't. Okay. Well, let me tell you what we were discussing on our campus at Bethune. <clears throat> Let's talk about jerseys, okay, and shoes. Um, we we had made a preliminary decision that we were not going to put the names on the back of jerseys anymore, uh, because uh, you see in pro sports at the end of games. What do you see? You see the athletes take their jerseys off and toss them in the stands, or they trade them out to a, uh, a another athlete from another team at midfield, you know, so that they can use that as a souvenir. Well, schools like Bethune Cookman and probably more most HBCUs or limited resource institutions, we don't have uh, we don't have an inventory room full of those jerseys, you know, right? And so. Uh, so we wanted to make sure that, that the student-athletes understood that that is not your personal property. That is property of the institution. And if your name is on it, that still does not mean it is your personal property. And, uh, and we had to drill down to that level to educate our student-athletes that you are still representing the institution. Now, we will also engage with you in the process of teaching you how to manage your brand. And let's say, for instance, Donald, you, you find a student athlete in North Carolina who is a mass comm major and is, is a soon-to-be star, and you decide to give that kid a feature on your show. And that kid hits it big and has a social media base of 10 million people and finds a way to monetize that, and is also a student-athlete, what happens to that student-athlete uh, if he or she is able to generate 100 k a year simply from being on Box to Row? 
Um, and and how then do you manage that uh, safely and make sure that that kid is able to maintain amateur status, maintain compliance within NCAA rules, and also be able to compete and still provide that service for you and with you as a part of Box to Row. And so uh, that means you have to have a relationship with the institution. You have to be in a, 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 a framework of, of really protecting the interests of the kid, but also your brand is your show. And so that is what is going to be transpiring for every student athlete on every campus. And the compliance programs on every campus are going to have to manage that for every student athlete on every team on every campus. And it is going to be a lot of work. And so that is what uh, college athletics is going to look like in the immediate future. And it started today. Yeah, Lynn Thompson, now former athletics director at Bethune-Cookman, joining us here on Box to Row. So what, you know, what does it mean? Like I I saw where um, a kid from, and I don't know if there there may have been some more since, but a kid from Jackson State signed, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, with the the hair product. Uh, It was, matter of fact, the first student athlete to, in fact, do so. Uh, Mm -hmm. What does it mean for our, meaning HBCU, you know, student athletes moving moving forward. Specifically, you know, I think I think I'm proud of what has happened at Jackson State, but uh, I, I want to make sure that that HBCUs are not held responsible because they cannot generate those same types of sponsorship and branding opportunities for student athletes. Uh, and 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 are not and not really uh, criticized for that because it is market driven, and also some of those opportunities are really geared towards individual student athletes. And what is going to happen is inevitably a an institution uh, based on where that institution may be located, uh, the market they are located in the historical value of that institution and maybe some of the personalities who work at that institution may have some leverage in terms of creating those types of opportunities. While others may, may have significant success, there may be a few others who may not have as much success and as a result may, not, may, be, may get lost in the dust from a recruiting standpoint. And you're going to see now kids signing scholarships based on how much money can I generate by signing with your university. Very well said. Last thought, you grew up in Daytona Beach. Uh, Mm -hmm. 1980 graduate of Bethune-Cookman. 30 years as the athletics director. To your point, you mentioned I think 40 or 41 years associated with the university. Um, Mm -hmm. What does that mean? And to be able to take the university to the level that it is now, what has that meant to you? Oh man. It is it has been um it has been a very humbling experience to see the growth uh when you look back and when you hear people talk about um what we've been able to do. And uh, and I wrote this in a blog that it has not been the people, but it's been the vision 
uh, of what we have had and people who bought into the vision and, and the shared vision and the work that people believed in that allowed us to accomplish so much was so little. You know, I mean, you've been there with us, Donald. You've been there to broadcast games. You've been in our press boxes. You've seen it. And, um, and, and, and what, let me tell you what I'm most proud of also, that <clears throat> there were people uh, through our Cat Eye Network and the, and the multimedia stuff that we were able to put on who thought that Bethune uh, was a very rich university and a huge university simply by the way we branded ourselves. And only people who knew how small we were, uh, how small of a staff we had, uh, really knew that uh, we didn't have a whole lot. We just were proud of what we did, and we looked like we were rich, <laughs> you know. And we just we just wanted to make sure that we that we uh, we branded ourselves as champions in everything that we did. Uh, and so when I look back and see where Bethune Cookman was and where it is now. Uh, we are just so proud that we've based our image uh, on winning championships with, with dignity, with pride. And even though we are small, we are a university that's been small by design. You know, we never endeavored to have ten to 12,000 students. We wanted to make sure that we were always a manageable enrollment so that we could be personable in our approach to teaching young people. And, uh, and we won because we were able to reach and teach student athletes the right way. And I think that if we are able to continue to do that, then our legacy will continue. Yeah, I mean, it's so many things that you were able to uh, accomplish. You mentioned the Cat Eye Network. Rest in peace to Mike Johnson, who, I mean, just, yeah. you know, phenomenal, man. I mean, I remember when. Uh, you know, W.E.L.E., he was he was there, was was carrying our show. Matter of fact, still carrying it, but he was very instrumental right. uh, in that. You founded that, and you're right. I mean, it was big time to the point, I think, that because of what you were able to do, it enabled now Bethune-Cookman to now own W.E.L.E., one of the – That is correct. Yep, Bethune, Howard, Voorhees, St. Augs, I believe the only universities to own commercial radio – HBCUs to own yeah. commercial – radio stations lynn thompson now former athletics director at bethune cookman for 30 years enjoying his retirement joining us here on box to row lynn it's been a pleasure i know we'll continue to talk man continued success in all you do thanks donald